Hello everybody, this is Eric Anderson from Suds Buds. Now on this program, we try to keep things nice and light. I mean, we drink beer and talk about kids' movies, for gosh sakes. But aside from being podcasters, Nate and myself also manage a brewery. So today I wanted to take a minute to address and bring some attention um, to some serious issues that exist within the industry that we dearly love. Um, So in recent weeks, many members and former members of the craft beer industry around the entire world uh, have stepped forward with haunting testimonials of abuse and marginalization. Um, The result has been some stepping down from their coveted positions and many others trying to come to grips with a traumatic experience that they never asked for in the first place. And now I'm not here to call anyone out, uh, and I'm not here to see how many hot-button words I can spew out of my mouth in a minute either. Um, I'm just here to state some simple facts. There's a lot of white men in this industry, and my co-host and I are white men. We are part of the privileged majority in this industry, and that means we are part of the problem. I know I speak for Nate and myself when I say that we want everybody around us on the clock or off to feel safe, to feel valued, and most importantly, to feel equal. So I just want to break any silence and say that we can all do better, and we need to do better. Let's take some more time to listen to our colleagues. Let's be more observant. Let's ask people how their day is going. See if they need anything. And most importantly, let's speak up if we witness any form of abuse or harassment taking place in the workplace. The world has enough silent bystanders already, so let's be different. Thank you. everybody you are listening to suds buds presents pints and pixar the podcast where we chat about the films of our childhood over an adult beverage or two sometimes three but we try not to do that uh but yeah we're coming in hot today coming in spicy we got Mm. an early recording session the sun is shining hell yeah feeling jazzed up 
No need for a, a second dose of coffee because we're still riding off that morning dose. <laughs> but yeah, Finding Nemo, 2003 hit film from Pixar. Um, I'm excited for this one, man. Yeah. Uh, let me do my own intro. Uh, with Eric, as always, uh, the king of the Sud Spuds, um, producer, secondary producer of the show, um, all around just fantastic person, Mr. Nate Alpadel. How we doing today, Nate? Yeah, and I'm Eric Anderson. <laughs> Didn't even give me an intro. I had to give myself one. Uh, how's it going, man? You have a good weekend? I did have a good weekend. You told me uh, about some of it off air, and I'll let you uh, pick gonna, and choose what you want to share. I'm going to keep most of that off air. All right. Um, but yeah, I had a, a damn good time. Um, drank a bunch of hams, had a bunch of whiskey, threw a little housewarming party. Nice. Um, yeah, it was a lot. It's a lot. I also used um, some of that hot sauce brine that we made. Uh, made some chicken. Forgot about that chicken in the fridge as I was brining. It brined for about 72 hours. I grilled Shit. it up this morning. Um, yeah, a little chicken salad for lunch. Pretty good? Yeah, it was good. Uh, I did end up overcooking the chicken because I hadn't taken into account that the... The brine, especially after that long of a period, I mean, you remember it, it's like a thick orange to red, almost. Um, so that actually kind of dyed the meat inside. So, like, I grilled it. I was like, no, this is normally right. And I cut it open a little bit to check it out because I didn't have my meat thermometer. And it was still pink. I was like, well, shit. Well, about... Five to ten minutes later, it dawned on me. I'm like, oh, I bet that's the pigment. Oh, dude, you dyed it with the brine, dog. Yeah, and so it was a little dried out. Uh, flavor was good, though. I like the flavor, um, just not the best. It was yeah. fine. It was fine. Well, I'm glad it still tasted good. You know, when you're when you're cooking at home for yourself, uh, presentation can sometimes go out the window. Exactly. Um, but yeah, it worked out. I might just shred the rest up and make an actual like chicken salad thing. Nice. This is just chicken on top of a salad. Sure. So, yeah. Yeah, but it was fun. It was fun. Uh, saw you went on a little trip this weekend yourself. I did. I uh, I had about as much fun as a guy can have in Iowa. Um, yeah, it was actually a good time. Decorah, Iowa was a really beautiful place. Had a nice little uh, weekend getaway with Samantha, lovely girlfriend of the show. Well, she because she won our Suds Buds drawing of spending a weekend with with the co-host, right? <laughs> yes, yes, she won that drawing. Yeah, lucky winner. Exactly, <laughs> one lucky winner. Or we'll get to accompany Eric to a Midwest state of their choosing. I think I'm just a lucky host. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, it was a good time. Kind of a little late birthday weekend trip for her. Um, had to shoehorn some beer into that trip, but. Uh, wasn't really shoehorning it in there. Samantha loves a good beer, too. This guy, the dedication on this guy. Just always on the clock with him. Uh, yeah, yeah, always on the clock. We uh, stopped at a couple different breweries, went hiking, saw some falls, met Sam's grandma, nice. did some tenting. Uh, yeah, threw a frisbee around. He was uh, petted some dogs, fell in love with the dog at, uh, convention it now. The first brewery we went to was uh, Little Thistle in Rochester, Minnesota and awesome brewery um not a huge operation was expecting it to be bigger but their outdoor seating is incredible i mean they've got like this terraced outdoor seating where you have seating on like different levels like cut into kind of like a hillside 
and they've got like a little walkway and they were in the process of laying fresh sod when we were there so they kind of had like a little meandering trail around it but i imagine once that's done i mean their seating is gonna be even more um but yeah lots of tables in the sun kind of like a little fire ring type thing with uh some like lawn chairs um and then the really cool thing was they had like almost like an open air gazebo they had like this uh stilted outdoor wooden roof um and these stilts that ran down had outlets in them that were hooked up to solar panels on the top of it so you could like charge your phone and open air outside or plug in whatever your laptop or something to do work Mm -hmm. um and they put uh then they put picnic tables under it so there was like eight picnic tables under this like open air solar paneled gazebo quick quick thing aren't all gazebos open air well sometimes i think of like gazebos a lot of times will have like i feel like some sort of a wall kind of like a support wall you know what i mean this thing didn't really have any walls it was just like a flat roof on like vertical stilts okay whereas a gazebo you know a lot of times it'll be like a screened in kind of circular structure or even like an open air circular structure but with like what some sort of a wall okay 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 this was like a lean-to almost like a kind of like a weird stilted lean-to with solar panels and yet there are dogs under there a bunch of dogs and i was admiring this very anxious looking dog from I don't want to say afar because it was like 10 feet away and it was on a leash and it couldn't get to me because I had it leashed to the table. But we made eye contact a number of times and, you know, I, this dog was my friend already. Nice. And then I eventually went over to the couple and I asked the women if I could, you know, pet their dog. And like, yeah, for sure. And they told me her name was Stella and she was a five-month-old Great Dane. Oh. And beautiful dog. Great dog. And then when I walked away, she like walked to the end of her leash like in my direction and just gave me the look like what the heck man where are you going thought we had something yeah, here we just met <laughs> gonna leave already but uh great dog um cool environment whenever you can have a beer in your hand and be like dude can i touch your dog and they're cool with it uh yeah all yeah. right it's a little thistle rochester rochester's got a lot of like sleeper breweries yeah we didn't make it to the other three, I think it's like Forager, LTS, and Thesis. I shouldn't even call them sleeper breweries. They're just like, anytime anybody has anything to say, it's 90% good things. Yeah. It was, you know, we had a couple on our list, but uh, I don't know. That was one of those where we stopped on our way to our destination, and we were talking about maybe having some short ones and going to another one, but they... Uh, we got their Hefeweizen. Sam and I both got the same one. And they're like, do you want it in the 22-ounce glass? And I'm like, is that how it usually comes? And they're like, yeah, it's like the only beer that comes in this glass. So we chilled out there. Yeah. And we just had one and just kind of sipped it in the sunshine. And we're good after that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was the first stop on the trip. And it was uh, two thumbs up. Great Hef. Four-star four Hef. Um, yeah. Would drink Is that there official again. official Sudsbuds rating right there? Unofficial because I don't remember the name of it. Okay. I don't know if they have multiple Hefeweizens that they brew, but the one that I had was delightful. No way. No um, but yeah, and then uh, some some not so great experiences down the road. <laughs> um, I don't know if we want to get into that now or what, but uh, well, maybe we'll revisit it at the end after you're a little tuned and you know 
We'll get you really fired up, really going there. Yeah. Yeah. I, I will say on one more note, positive beer experience. We went to Pulpit Brewing in Decorah, and Pulpit was actually really solid. Would go again, met some cool people. Also got to play with another dog there. Very this good. time, a Newfoundland. So I was just like on a big dog roll this weekend. You know what I'm saying? You yep. ever go on a big dog roll? Uh, I've been on a big dog roll. It's a good roll to be on. Dude. Yeah. I, I have had worse rolls. Yeah. Yeah. I'm always rolling. Yeah. Yeah. You sit down at a craps table and get that big dog roll. Uh, I mean, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. But Actually, uh, do casinos allow dogs in them? Probably not. They should. Like I mean, in Vegas. Well, yeah, but Vegas's motto is essentially uh, everything's more likely to be legal here. Yeah. I suppose it might be a conflict of interest with the smoking. Now that I think about it, yeah, dogs shouldn't be in casinos. Dogs don't smoke indoors around your dog. It seems fair. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, unless the dog smokes. I mean, I've seen videos of smoking dogs. That's a thing. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, we don't <laughs> condone that. Stop telling people how to live their life, Eric. Yeah. Don't give your dog cigarettes. Don't listen to Nate. Whoa. Okay. He's a bad influence. He's a bad I... uncle. Mm, hurtful. That's fine. That's fine. We'll get over it. Um, You know what? Let's Let's crack this first beer. I'm very excited about this one. And uh, then we'll let you do your job, All which right. is uh, some plot summary. Yeah, yeah. So this is a beer that comes to us from Nate. He brewed it. I spilt it. I didn't brew the beer. Um, it's a Saison from Wooden Ship Brewing Company. The new kids on the block. They just opened uh, two or three weeks ago. Are um, they uh, in Roseville? There, it's like real close to my old place. Um, I'm sure it says on there, but they. Oh, they're Minneapolis. Yeah. There's a new brewery that's opening in the old uh, Joe's Crab Shop, Crab Shack location in uh, I think it's Roseville. Oh really? Yeah. Nice. That's kind of fun. It's always fun when like the the chain restaurants like they go out of business and then like some new place opens in, but you can clearly see from the structure. Like, apparently, there's this new place going in in the old Applebee's in um, it's the neighborhood just a little north of uh, Northeast. Um, um, St. Anthony? Does that sound right? Um, yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah, but either way, uh, Wooden Ship. Uh, we're on 44th Street in Minneapolis, West 44th Street. Okay. Um, so, yeah, they just opened a couple weeks ago. Um met one of their or met their head brewer um he's a ex-danger or he was a dangerous man guy at the time um super nice came into a bald man we shot the shit and then <laughs> i had promised him that i would bring him a bottle of our barrel aged um batch 100 that yeah we did a little bottle run of that and then i had completely forgotten about it i was going through my little little stash of bottles i found it and then it just dawned on me so i cruised over to dangerous man hung out for a few beers and gave him that it was nice like, like six months later yeah he kind of like looked at me he's like oh yeah yeah i remember this i was like yeah i just found the bottle again and here you go that's awesome man yeah good deeds good deeds mm-hmm. oh man we forgot to cheers but uh we'll do a late one all right this is uh this is really tasty man Mm-hmm. A lot darker than I was picturing. Yep, but still pretty light in body. Uh, 
I'll, I'll reflect on this a little bit. Why don't you uh, take us down the road of uh, the plot summary for Finding Nemo? Okay. Uh, down the down the river, down the down the ocean, whatever. There's the, uh, some joke the, in there. What's the name of the current? The uh, the EAC. EAC. Yeah, EAC. Take us down the East EAC. Australian Current. You got it. Uh, all right. So uh, we kind of start off um, a lot of like weird like sweeping shots, which is kind of fun. There's a lot of that in this movie where like no- none of the characters are even on screen. Like just kind of the animators showing off, like make these huge environments. Um, but yeah, start off with a sweeping shot. Uh, we meet Marlin and uh, his wife Coral, mm-hmm. and which again just just fun dumb fish puns throughout the whole movie. Uh, we'll get into those, but um, meet them. They're talking about this new place, their new digs that they just moved into at the drop off. So the whole or this whole spot is like right on the edge of a coral reef, mm-hmm. um, right before a big drop off, open ocean kind of spot. Um, so they're kind of showboating that running around the house and then they kind of swim down to this little nursery that they've built with all of the fish babies in it. Um, it was kind of a fun bit where he's like, all right, let's name them all. Now this half will be Marlin jr. That half will be coral jr. Yep. <laughs> it's like, and then he admits, he's like, well, I want most of them to be named Marlin jr. Um, just in case, yeah. like kind of hinting at a lot of them are not going to make it totally, which I was like, all right, a little dark, but fine. Yeah. Fish jokes, man. Yep. Um, and then they're kind of hanging out and all of a sudden, uh, Coral freaks out, sees, uh, you know what kind of fish that was? Yes. It was a barracuda. Mm. Yeah. They see a barracuda just kind of hanging off the drop off a little bit, um, and Coral beelines it for, or both of them beeline it for the little nursery. Barracuda beelines it. And Marlin gets knocked out. And comes to, it's nighttime. Swims down there. Coral's gone. And most of the, or all the eggs, the nursery's cleared out. Heavy scene. Yep. Uh, like. I guess the heavier scene is probably the aftermath of that. Yeah. When we just have kind of... The one... The Marlin by his lonesome, you know? Kind of like... Mm-hmm. I think he... Yeah, he he awakes. It comes out of the anemone and, you know... Anemone. Excuse me. Anemone. 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 See an enemy. Uh, <laughs> he comes out of it and he realizes... Public enemy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> he realizes his uh, his mate, his partner, Coral, is, is gone. And uh, that's when he goes down to check his nest. Mm-hmm. And at first he realizes they're all gone. And then mm-hmm. upon further inspection, there's a... Finds the one, the cracked the cracked egg. The one, the one last egg. And mm-hmm. then I think right after that, we kind of get the opening title, right? Yep, that's pretty much it. Heavy, um... man. Maybe the heaviest opening to a Pixar film that we've seen thus far. Because, I mean, if we're going, uh, when I say thus far, I mean, like, up until 2003 here. At this point, we would have had the first Toy Story. Yep. We would have had Toy Story 2. Yep. And we would have had Bugs Life. And and Monsters, Inc. Yep. So and I mean... Movie number, like, five. Yeah. Chronologically. Yep. And all those movies have, you know, some real heavy stuff. But I 
I can say with some confidence, I feel like Nemo starts off the most bleak mm-hmm. of any of those movies. Yeah, you know? there's throughout this whole movie, there's a lot less lightheartedness, or it's much more sparse. Yeah, like it's kind of a, I don't know, it's like you're, yeah, it's kind of dark the whole time. Like they do well with some humor. Um, and the humor, I feel like when it hits, it hits because I mean, it's like I said, from the get go, you're left, you, you know, they set up within five minutes, this, uh, you know, newlyweds that are expecting to now a single father with the one solo surviving offspring. And I feel like when the moments of, of humor do come, they really act as kind of moments of levity in this story. Mm-hmm. And I feel like they, they did a good job of. Um, thinking the jokes through well, because I feel like if you're going to have a heavy movie like this and the jokes aren't landing, it it kind of would put the whole project in bad taste, I think. Yeah. I think when you're dealing with something this dark, there's a lot of that potential, and those those jokes better land, you know? (laughs) Yep. But, Um, yeah, I don't know. There's there's a lot. The, um, I'm not going to skip ahead scenes here. There's a few other really dark stuff. Um, but yeah, so then we flash forward to like a year or so later. Uh, the egg is now hatched into Nemo, um, and he's got his signature little uh, little gimp fin. Um, calls it his, they call it his lucky fin. That's from like the crack in the egg. Um, Basically looks the same as his other one, just like... A quarter of the size. Yeah, real tiny fin. Um, And he's all excited. It's their first day of school. And then we kind of see how Marlin's been coping with this huge loss. He is now terrified of everything. Basically, the world is out to get get you. Um, So there's a lot of that. And we show up to the school. Um, It's Nemo's first day of school. They meet Mr. Ray. Uh... The, the stingray okay um they should have had him be voiced by ray romano that oh that would have been a lot of fun just and the voice would have worked so well for that character too like yep come on kids we're gonna go for a, a ride through the sea we're gonna go check out the drop-off now Deborah, <laughs> i'm teaching <laughs> trying to do my job i I would love a remaster, but we just replace with with Ray Romano. Um, I would have been very interested to hear Ray Romano singing because that's pretty much all Ray does. Oh yeah, that that might have been. Maybe I don't want to hear that. <laughs> He's got a got a set. It's actually just voiced by two people: uh, the other guy for the singing and uh, Ray for all the speaking parts. Uh, but yeah, so they're kind of taken off. Um, and one of the other parents is talking to Marlin after the group already leaves. And they're like, oh, you're doing really good, well for a first-timer. And then mentions that the kid's field trip is going to the drop-off. Which is, you know, where, yeah, Marlin, yeah, super dangerous. Um, and so Marlin takes after him, uh, calls a seahorse pony boy. Which I thought was, that was a fun, fun light bit. And then they, yeah, cruise over there, cuts to the kids playing at the drop-off, and they see, off in the distance, a boat. 
Um, and they, oh, I'm sorry, a butt. Yeah. I'm going <laughs> to go touch the butt. Going to go touch the butt. So I do have a question for you here at this point. Because, okay, so when they say they're going to the drop-off, mm-hmm. and Marlon does not like the sound of that. I mean, it makes sense from what we know about his character. He had a very traumatic, horrible experience there. Yeah. But is is this negligence on the teacher's part of taking the kids on a field trip to the drop-off? Or is this like a freak accident that happened there one time and it's overprotectiveness on Marlon's part? Because, I mean, mm. ultimately, like, what you are about to talk to is, you know, our break of routine more or less happens and then at the drop-off and now we have the whole Finding Nemo aspect of the film. But... It, as much as I like Mr. Ray, man, I mean, taking a group of, of school-age kids on your back to, like, the most one of the most dangerous parts of the sea that these fish know, I mean, seems a little questionable for a teacher. And, I mean, that is kind of the thing. Like, they're, they're all living in a coral reef. Yeah. And so there's a lot of protection. Like, not, not big fish can't get there. Um, so it's not, yeah, it's a very safe place. The drop-off's kind of where, yeah, the rest of the ocean is. Yes. Where the rest of everything is. Um, so I think that, I mean, there is some inherent danger, but it's more just removing them from the super safe coral reef and bringing them to, a, like, an average. And the ocean's, ocean's huge. Um, it's probably so, a lot like going on maybe, like, a school field trip to, like, uh, a jail or a prison. Or even a school field trip to, like, uh, you know, for people that maybe grew up Pacific Northwest, like going to like a state park in the mountains, you know, where it's yeah. something where it's like there's there's an inherent danger, but like I wouldn't call it overly dangerous. Now I've never lived in a coral reef, so I can't speak to that. Yeah. But like it seems as though Yeah, I mean the rest of the parents are like, Oh, I freaked out the first time, but like it's the drop off, like this is just like the edge of our very, very safe gated community. Yes. Um, so, I, yeah, I would probably make it akin to, like, yeah, taking a field trip to, like, a state park or something. Yeah. Where there is a potential danger, but, like, eh. Right. You know. I don't know. Also, like, Marlon seemed like a pretty good chaperone until, or, excuse me, Mr. Ray seemed like a pretty good chaperone until Marlon followed and distracted him. That's know? true. Like, the only reason, well, no, the kids kind of snuck off. Yeah. Um, while Mr. Ray was singing songs and looking directly at them. Right? Like, he was singing songs to the kids, and the three kids are like, eh, no. And they just kind of bounced off to, like, the very edge. Questionable teaching and parenting going on here. Exactly. Um, basically, what we learned from the movie, the overarching thing, is that uh, adults can't be trusted. <laughs> yes. Yep. Everybody's irresponsible. Trust no one. Uh, drink saisons. I have Which, that. By the way, this beer is hitting, man. Yep, big fan. But anyway, uh, so uh, Marlin comes in, freaking out, um, yelling at Nemo to that he can't go out and swim out there. He's not strong enough. Whatever. Nemo takes this as a personal challenge and swims up and touches the butt. Um. On his way back, a diver comes up, like, kind of spookily comes up, which another part I had a problem with. 
like fish can see a lot around them that's kind of like how the thing is like predators much more have eyes that focus forward yes these fish are not predators their eyes are on the side you'd think they could have seen this diver coming from a little ways off but instead they don't see him until he's right behind nemo plot hole a little bit yeah or just really dumb fish yeah uh but either way nemo gets taken by a diver um and marlin ends up chasing after this boat he can't or he's chasing chasing boat gets away and that's where we run into dory he swims directly into dory um they meet uh he's she's like oh i a boat i saw a boat uh, went this way and then kind of takes off marlin's following her and eventually she kind of just starts like swerving you know enjoying her time taking a leisurely swim um and then like sees marlin following her freaks out starts run swimming around and that's when we learn that she has short-term memory loss yeah she's uh she's ellen degeneres but she's nice and she forgets things <laughs> ellen degeneres seems to forget things too like being har- nice yeah like being nice or harassing uh staff members on her show yeah not remembering it yep um <laughs> I don't really want to dive too much into the whole Ellen thing because I think she's kind of already getting hers. But yeah, it's a lot of vague stuff out there about her not being so nice to some people that work for her and uh, it going on for many years. And it sounds like after the end of 2022, she's going to be stepping down from her show. Yeah, um, but for separate reasons, quote yes. unquote, quote unquote. Yeah, that the show has, quote unquote, run its course, quote unquote. Yeah. Which, I mean, I guess that's not a lie either. <laughs> I guess. She's been dancing her way to daytime Emmys for like 20 years. And, yeah. I mean, for a while I think there was... <sighs> that's like me saying... That's like me crashing my car into a building, like a brick wall, and then phrasing it as, I'm just going to get much more into public transportation now. <laughs> yes. Like, that's the equivalent. Ellen's a bummer, man, because she like... On the exterior, like, great smile, just... Sorry, I said we weren't going to get much into this, but it's one that bums me out, because, like, she had it not been for that dirt, like, she goes down as one of the most endearing figures in, you know, daytime television, as well as, like, 90 sitcoms, you know what I mean? Like, she had the Ellen show, and that was, like, a big part of it was, you know she she came out in that show and it paralleled her real life and i mean it was it was prolific for the time um mm-hmm. unfortunately shouldn't have been a big deal but at the time it was and now seeing where it's kind of all gone the direction it's gone it's like man i really wanted you to they, like I, maintain that squeaky clean exactly we like whenever you like there's so many like shitty people like shitty movie stars or shitty celebrities that when you find a good one, like you kind of like put, you don't have a lot of options. You put all your eggs into that basket. You're like, oh yeah, that they're cool. All right, I like them. And then you find out they're shitty too, and it, it hurts a little bit more. Yeah, man. Like you danced with everyone. Like every one of my sick days from school, I saw you dance with some celebrity in a cool suit. Like, yep. And, and, fuck, man. Exactly. Ellen, you hurt me. For me, it would hurt most to see like. I don't know what the actor's name was, but the guy who played Matlock. I watched a lot of Matlock on my days off. Um, Did you hang out at your grandma's on days off? Nope. Uh, We just 
basically the the itinerary for sick days was you wake up uh you watch hawaii 5 you watch matlock you watch wheel of fortune um and then you watch maybe some like daytime uh like maury or uh dr phil or shit like that basically you're watching i mean other than bob barker i don't think bob barker had anything come out about him maybe he did i don't know dude's just really old yeah i hope not yep same um, also at the same time i don't want to like defend these people when i say i hope not like yep. i hope nobody does bad things but you know if you are hurting people i hope hope it comes to light yeah i hope it comes to light or at least i hope you get yours in some sort of way so yep worse for ellen i i, I feel worse for ellen's employees than i do for ellen yeah but... no I don't, I don't particularly feel bad for ellen but as dory she does a pretty good job <laughs> she back does. to finding nemo back to finding nemo um yeah we run into dory short-term memory loss um and that kind of becomes this issue um and then her and marlin kind of she kind of like tags along with marlin um he doesn't seem to have much issue uh and then eventually they run across a school of fish and he starts asking them questions this is one of my favorite bits in the whole movie is it's this whole school of fish they're ignoring marlin um kind of gets he gets pissed at dory starts kind of chewing her out and these fish come up and they just talk as one big hive mind like all the other fish have on on or autonomy and this school of fish they just operate as a hive mind like none of their mouths even move when it's talking it's just but like it there's like reverb or like they stack the vocals so it sounds like several people are talking yeah um, they're like this guy giving you problems yep and uh, and they start playing charades. Yes, they can form shapes in yep. unison. Yep. Uh, so that was fun. And eventually, uh, she gets them to warm up to Marlin. Um, they give her some directions to which way to go. And that's when we come to the trench. Yes. Yep. They're like, um, at like they Marlin starts swimming in the direction they told them. They stop Dory. They're like, oh, and when you see the trench, make sure to swim through it, not over it. They get to the trench. And that is a, an important part. Um, they get to the trench. And Dory's... She can't exactly remember why. But she's like, I think we should swim through it. Marlin being the kind of cowardly or... Um, yeah, cowardly, I guess would be the word. Uh, tricks Dory into swimming over it. Because why would you swim through this dark, deep canyon when you could just go over the top? And that's where we run into the jellyfish. Yes. Yeah. Um, bunch of jellyfish come down. And they kind of panic a little bit. And then they make a game. Um, Dory figures out by accident that they jellyfish can't sting you if they jump on their... If you bounce on their head. Yep another weird part like i don't know why they have to bounce on the jellyfish's head like they're fish they swim it's like a mario game physics where it's like don't hit the side of it but if you bounce on top of it like yeah you're good but like they're actively like shooting to bounce off these heads yeah when they can just swim you know what i mean right like it might give them a little more clearance if like it's pushing the jellyfish head down i don't know it was a weird thing yeah like they there was some parts of this movie where they just add gravity for the sake of like the scene it's a little animation flex i think too that could be uh but yeah they race through um marlin gets through like 
like it, they made it into a game. Marlon gets through. He's like, oh, I'm the winner. And then he realizes Dory's still stuck. She got stung a bunch. Um, he goes back in to save her, ends up having to fly through a bunch of jellyfish stingers, and passes out. And we wake up on the uh, EAC, the East Australian Current, where we meet the sea turtles. Oh, but before that, we had the sharks. Oh, shit, I skipped the sharks. I was wondering, yeah, I think the sharks were right before the jellyfish, right? The sharks were before... Or... No, the sharks were how we... Um, the sharks, that's why Nemo was... Stick, or why they were sticking together. Because we had the sharks, then we had the... The sharks showed up, like, right after uh, he met Dory. Yes, and the sharks, um, I just had to mention them because that's one of my favorite sequences in the film... We've got these series of sharks. There's uh, th- there's uh, three of them, and it's Bruce and then his two cronies. And we find out that they're basically in uh, Shark F.A., uh, Fishaholics Anonymous, more or less. Um, Fish are friends, not food. Yes, and they have their little group, and they are all um, recovering fish eaters. And it is very funny. Um it goes from Bruce being kind of this, you know, we, we don't fully trust him, but he's very charismatic, and he's got these two cronies that seem like they're kind of like the fiends, but then, uh, basically, Dory ends up getting bonked on the nose and bleeding, and as soon as the blood hits the water, it's the classic blood in the water, Bruce goes crazy, the kind of the lovable shark of the three, and his two other buddies basically try to restrain him. Like, Bruce isn't always like this. Come on, man. You've been clean for... And they've got, I think, English accents, maybe? Yeah. like they. Well, they've all got a little bit of a different accent. Um, yeah. Like, one's a hammerhead. One's like a mako shark. Yes. And then, and then Bruce, Bruce is, is a great, great white. white. Yeah. But it's very funny. I love that whole sequence. Some really cool animation. Um, some really, like kind of scary visuals i mean the blood in the water and bruce literally getting the shark eyes i mean yep really cool but i was a little older i guess at the time when nemo came out i wasn't quite like toy story age but gotta imagine that scene for like a three-year-old kind of scary yep because like when bruce rolls up like he's he's like his intent is not known but it's like hinting at like he's bringing them to a party yeah. Or like, uh, like they he's bringing them somewhere to eat them. Um, but from there, like, that's kind of like where th- that scene is kind of catastrophic. I mean, there's landmines that go off. Yeah. Um, I mean, do the sharks even make it? Yeah, the sharks make it because they're they're in like one of the final scenes. That's right. Yep. Um, but yeah, big kind of bomb that goes off in a sunken ship location with a bunch of old abandoned like. World War Two era landmines, um, or sea mines rather, mm-hmm. um, and from there they kind of make their way down to the trench. Yeah, they meet the anglerfish. Yeah, the anglerfish, and that was a weird. That I mean, that was a fun scene. Um, God, I can't believe I skipped over that. This movie just moves so fast. You like, skipped it over is, very two very cool characters. Yeah, it like there's just like it happens in chunks and it moves just super quick. Yeah. Um, yes. Yeah. I will say those scenes do kind of act more or less as like exposition for mm-hmm. like the rest of the story. I mean, it's kind of like jump through this hoop and then we're, you know, yep. then we're here. But 
so while the anglerfish and Bruce and his cronies don't mean much to the overall piece, they are two moments of just like pure fun and entertainment within the film. Yep. Uh, and actually, that's important because at the the EAC, um, while they're riding on the sea turtles to get to Sydney, because like the sea turtles know where S- Sydney Harbor is, um, they start or Marlin starts telling all of these people or all of these turtles the story yes. like of all the things that they've done. And then the turtles end up telling some other people, like, there's this whole little montage of everybody telling, like, a little game of telephone, um, and ends up going, getting to this seagull. Yes. Um, that has met Nemo. Um, and we can kind of cut to that here for a bit. Um, I, I do want to say one last thing. It's important to note that they know where they're going because on the inside of the goggles, they found out that Dory can read. And in that scene with the anglerfish, they use the light down in the trench to read the goggles. And that's like a big scene of kind of peril within the film is, is Dory going to be able to figure out what this says before they get eaten? Yeah. But basically that's, that's like the first moment where Dory saves the day where Marlon realizes that she's more than a nuisance. She's actually an asset to finding his lost child because she's, she's a fish that's literate. You know what I mean? Um, so I just wanted to throw that in there. That's kind of how they, they relay this to the turtles and the turtles are like, Oh yeah, bro, we'll take you there. You know what I mean? Um, cause otherwise you're probably wondering like how, how did they, you know? Yeah. But that's why the goggles, I guess were important. The goggles were important. That was like the thing that dropped off the boat and they, and Marlin found them. Um, but sorry, back, back, back to the seagull and the, the dentist. Office. Yeah, back to the seagull. Um, I guess this is kind of a good time. There's a lot of flipping back and forth between Nemo's story and Marlin's. Um, but Nemo, after getting taken from the drop-off, ends up in a fish tank at a dentist's office. And I would say... Okay. Yeah, well, we'll, we'll get to it. Um, dentist's office meets all these other fish, and they've all... They've all basically gone crazy, or some of them have gone crazy in this fish tank. Um, they're all from pet stores except for one of them. Yes. Uh, the, the fish voiced by uh, Willem Dafoe. Gil. Gil. Yep. Yeah, again, just some real low-level fish puns that were just kind of a lot of fun. Um, and he's he's uh, he's got some scars showing you know his wares of war, kind of implying that the sea is... I mean, Nemo, despite being this cute little clownfish... Gil kind of right away is like, he he's he's distant, but you can kind of tell he's got this glint in his eye, like, man, he's one of us. You know what I mean? Like uh-huh. he came from from my hood kind of thing. Whereas like the rest of them are kind of pampered, yeah, sheltered pet store fish. Yeah. And Gil sees Nemo and he's like, this kid's seen some shit. Yep. Uh, so yeah, they they meet him. Um, they initiate him into the fraternity of the tank. Yes. And uh, they kind of hatch an escape plan. That's kind of Gil's whole thing is they need to escape this dentist's office and get to the sea. Uh, the dentist's office is right on the Sydney Harbor Bay. Um, and basically, because these fish are trapped in this tank, they have nothing to do but watch the dentist perform work. Yeah. And there's a seagull that also likes to come out and or a pelican. He's a pelican. Yes. Yep. We do meet seagulls too, but yes. they're different. <laughs> um, this pelican that likes to swoop in 
and hang out with them um, to watch the dentist work, which is kind of fun. Like they're talking very like specific dentist terms, like watching like uh, your favorite sports team. That's essentially what these guys are doing. Yeah. It's like they're locked in that room, so it's all they know, and they know everything about it. But yep. I don't know if we mentioned it either, but the dentist is actually the diver that got Nemo. Yeah. Um, Kind of like a... I mean, he's a DIY kind of guy. Like, you could have gone to the pet store and got that fish, but he, he's talking to one of his patients about how he got this, you know, clownfish off of the, the reef. But he did lie about it. Um, He said this little guy was struggling, and he saved him. Yes. Um, which is not the case at all. He just stole him from a reef, which I'm pretty sure is illegal. I guess I don't know. I'm not I'm not well versed in Australian fish law. Um I think I get what you're saying, but I kind of read that as more of like a tongue in cheek way of how we kind of try to personify animals. Mm. In a way of like, Oh little critter, you're lost or like, Oh, your dog's your dog's sad your dog needs whatever you know what i mean where it's like get it be nice to pets i'm like the biggest critter lover out there but the weakens or we think they're more helpless than they are yeah and to think like to act like you understand their language to a t i'm sorry but i'll be i'm here to tell you you don't and i think that was kind of one of those moments where maybe he saw what he thought was a fish that wasn't able to swim. You know, in his mind, he maybe thought, oh, I'm doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm thinking a little bit too highbrow I, for a kid's movie, but it kind of felt that way. It felt like I, it was a tongue-in-cheek, like... I think you're doing a little highbrow here, because then we meet, uh, we see the character Darla, the picture that broke. Yeah. Um, and Darla, he, Darla's, yeah, his niece... Um, a i don't know she could have been like six maybe seven and uh he's got this picture in her office in his office and it's just her holding a bag with a dead fish in it like belly up goldfish the fact that he has that yep (sighs) um a little disturbing exactly so that kind of yeah ties in um and why nemo needs to escape Oh, um, and then, yeah, so they're, they're hatching this escape plan because they're kind of on a deadline before Darla comes because they realize that Nemo is going to be her next fish present and that she's basically going to kill him through negligence. But which again, that part kind of makes me believe that the dentist doesn't actually give a shit about fish. Like he likes to pretend that he does. But, like, he's clearly giving this fish to someone who can't care for it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, she killed a goldfish in a bag. Goldfish can take some abuse. Yeah. I mean, yeah, she shook the thing. Yeah, she just kept shaking the bag. And he's gonna... And also, going from a goldfish to a a, a clownfish? Like, that's salt water. I mean, we got freshwater salt water. It's, it's a lot of work. Yeah, yeah I mean... I think it just goes back to it kind of being like a, kind of a bleak movie set in a beautiful world because it's like most of the characters that we come into contact with are wrestling with the fact that they're like straddling that line between life and death every waking minute. But yep. also it's like it's a movie about the ocean and yep. former guest Ben Hebel of the show, he 
That man hates the ocean. Hates and the ocean. I'm I'm kind of starting to see why. I'm wondering what he thinks of Finding Nemo because I definitely think it reinforces his points of being always a pretty place. You ever heard his opinions on blood oranges? <laughs> hates them. Yeah, maybe we'll have Ben back on to do a, a Finding Nemo, a Finding Dory follow-up. <laughs> Be fine with that. We'll drink nothing but blood orange beers. We'll ask a brewer to watch four, uh, four hours of Pixar. That'd be a lot of fun. I'm sure he'd love it. <laughs> and record his response. Yep. Uh, but anyway, we yeah, so they're hatching this escape plan to essentially break the filter, get the tank dirty, whatever. Um, Pretty cool plan. Pretty it is like, a cool plan. elaborate. Yep. Um, and the plan kind of fails the first time. Um, Nemo almost gets his shit rocked and uh kind of gets scared kind of gets put back into his shell that everything's dangerous and then the seagull who has heard all of the stories of his dad's of marlin's travels flies to the window or the not the seagull um the uh the pelican pelican uh flies to the window and tells nemo all these stories and he kind of he gets um motivated it's like, if my dad, the most scared fish in the world, can do this, like, I can do this, not to be afraid of these things. So Nemo kind of just rushes and does the whole plan himself. Um, and the plan, just kind of to streamline it, basically, yeah, it was swimming up through, or it was throwing, throwing a rock into the filter of the aquarium, jumping in through the filtration system, Swimming down in it, throwing another rock into one of the... Um, taking Yeah, taking the rocky shot in to clog the actual filter. Yeah, basically there were two fans that needed to be seized up, and then he needed to kind of swim through, and they were going to pull him out with the straw. Yeah. Yeah, and it was... It's, again, it was life or death, you know? There ain't really no in-between. He got that one first shot where he somehow got out, you mm -hmm. know, but even that was like he was right at the cusp of getting ground up. So, I mean, man, it's tough. They're sending the youngest person in to do the task, but they're sending the youngest person in because they're the only one that can fit. Yep. And heavy, but... And also, or to my point, this movie is that adults can't be trusted, and... Um... Drink saisons. Whatever you can do, kids can do better. Yep. Maybe. maybe. I don't know. You ever play a kid in a video game? They suck at them. <laughs> but then again, you're not very good at them either. Yeah. Hey. Beer is a 21 plus beverage. Please drink responsibly. Hey. And Pixar responsibly. Exactly. This shit's dark. Um, but anyway, Nemo breaks the filter. Um, the plan's kind of in motion. Tank gets real gunked up. Tank gets gunked up. And then all of a sudden the fish in the tank wake up and the thing's clean. He Overnight, the uh, dentist installed a new filter. So it kind of kiboshes their plan. And in rolls Darla. Um, and Darla is made to be just the creepiest character. I do kind of have a thing here. Who is the worst villain? Or who is the villain? Is it Darla? Darla's just a kid who doesn't understand how to deal with pets. The dentist is the one that stole the fish from his home and then gave it to a kid that doesn't know how to deal with pets. Hmm. It's a tough one. I want to like the dentist because he seems like kind of a likable dude. Um, kind of just this old school, also surprisingly jacked, like, 
Australian dentist that also dives. I mean, kind sure. of a cool dude. And he's, and he's got a sense he's... of humor. He's funny. Yeah. Um, I don't get the impression that he's bad at taking care of his fish because all the fish have been in the aquarium for a relatively long time. But that makes it worse because he knows how to take care of fish and he still gives this child fish that he knows or should know that he can't she can't take care of and that's where my issue with him arises is the fact that this is a reoccurring thing where it's implied that this has happened multiple times that he's given fish to a niece that clearly isn't old enough or capable to take care of them and she kills them and he has photographic proof of it so that he puts in his office yeah because of that i think he's he's if we had to pick a villain between Darla and the dentist, I would say the dentist. Yes, because it's it's also hard for me to fault a six-year-old. I think everyone has... I don't know, man. I used to play with snakes and frogs and stuff like that when I was kids. And I used to have little terrariums and stuff. And I'd be lying if I said when I was little I didn't put something into a container that shouldn't have been in a container and it died. And yeah. I don't feel good about it. But it's like, I learned, it made me very sad. Yep. I didn't go capture a bunch of baby frogs and build a plastic terrarium for them again. Exactly. Like, that's not... It was it was scarring. <laughs> yes, exactly. So, again, Dentist is the villain of this movie. Yeah, he's very flawed. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, they... So then they kind of hatch a new quick plan of... Um, he or Nemo gets scooped up and Nemo just plays dead in this bag to get flushed down the toilet because as Gil has said a couple times at this point, all drains lead to the ocean. Um, well, so dentist kind of starts walking over towards where the bathroom is thinking everybody's like, Oh, he's going to get flushed. This is great. And then he kind of beelines it to the garbage can instead. Um, which is kind of weird. Like if I had a dead fish in a bag, I'm not going to put it in a garbage can. What like, seems like a weird thing to do. Whatever. Um, and at this point, uh, Marlin and, um, Dory have been picked up by the Pelican and brought to the office. Yes. So what Marlin and Dory see is a dead Nemo in a plastic bag. Um, and then the Pelican gets chased out. They end up back in the ocean and Nemo kind of like hurt his dad but like didn't didn't see him because he was playing dead uh nemo ends up through some tomfoolery getting flushed or getting shot down a drain um out into the ocean um at this point nemo or marlin is you know super depressed and like he's traveled all this way trying to save his son and he lost at the last minute um kind of abandons dory out in the um yeah, out in the big blue. And Nemo ends up running into Dory. Um, Dory doesn't necessarily remember who Nemo is due to the short-term memory loss. And eventually she has this memory, and that's kind of a fun scene when she remembers stuff because she gets super excited when she has a memory. Yeah. Um, what was the name she kept calling Nemo? She It changed pretty much every time. It was like, yeah, it was like yeah. Reno. It was Fabio. Fabio. Yep. Um, Marco. Marco. Yeah. Yeah. But she remembers Nemo, uh, starts freaking out and does this, yeah, this whole thing where she's having a million thoughts at once. <laughs> and then they race to find Marlin. 
they catch up with him, and all of a sudden they get stuck in a giant fishing net. Um, and this is kind of a moment where Dory gets stuck in the net, Marlin and Nemo are outside of the net, and Nemo decides to swim into the net to teach all of these fish to work together to get themselves free. Yep. Uh, Marlin doesn't want to let Nemo go, but eventually he's like, you can do this. Trust Nemo to do the thing, putting Nemo's self in danger, trusting that they'll be able to figure it out. And it's a very cool scene. Mm -hmm. Uh, Nemo gets all these characters to swim downward in this net and kind of coaching them and, you know, everyone's working together and basically they end up kind of breaking this crane mechanism on this ship uh, net goes down to the ocean floor and they all they escape and yep. um, there's that finally that nice moment where Marlin gets to embrace Nemo and well I guess before that not not initially when when the net breaks Nemo's spent uh, Nemo's yeah. laying at the ocean floor because he's you know exerted so much energy and there's a moment where we don't know if he's gonna make it and yeah they, they kind of they play it like every time something like a little dangerous happens one of the fish is almost dead yes every time yep and it was just like at that point i had been so desensitized to it where i'm like oh yeah he's just tired <laughs> like it is weird because it's like there's so many times where it's like home free and another thing and another thing and another thing and yep. i mean it's like you could have paused the movie at one point where you thought they were home free and been like ah oh, there's still 45 minutes left like <laughs> they're gonna get they're gonna get caught they're gonna get got like three more times and yep i don't know it is it is a heartwarming moment because he wakes up and he's like dad and you know is it's it's sweet but also at the same time i get what you're saying it's kind of like come on guys. at that point like that that little bit that like tense moment had been played like four times so it's like okay, okay we're done uh but yeah then they make it back to their home and it's just kind of seeing like a scene where everybody's just doing better now um Dora's, mr ray's there again yep um, leading another excursion one of the sea turtles came in he's an exchange student which is kind of fun yep um dory's hanging out and yeah so kind of just happy ending yeah and then yeah. at uh, i think it's like right before the credits we get uh we see all the other aquarium fish and they are also in that uh harbor in sydney and but they're all in their plastic bags they're in their bags yep and i think doesn't the puffer fish even inflate in his bag yep and yeah. it doesn't pop yeah which is so. kind of fun yeah but yeah, that's, uh, uh, that's a plot that's a plot it's a it's a meandering one i'm sorry nate i sidetracked you a few times but it's fine there was it's a lot fine. going on in this one it like i said it just it was this thing this thing this thing like they there was never any kind of just traveling dialogue like getting the story it was always just a big moment after big moment like you can really block this movie out um which was kind of weird but yeah it's a pretty one for sure and oh, yeah. uh, a successful one as well and we'll get more into some of that stuff in the fun facts but uh before we go to break what do you say we get back to the suds portion of the podcast i love me some suds so uh nate bless do we us have, do we have any more of that um I think I finished oh, it. That's fine. Uh, it was a really good one. I had to go back for seconds and a little short thirdsy. But uh, Wooden Ship Brewing Company. Um, yeah. It's a Saison. It's a 
big one. Jeez, I did not realize that. <laughs> um, and yeah, it's part of their seasonal work farmhouse series. So very good, very tasty. Go support those guys. That's Wooden Ship Brewing, 3300 West 44th Street, Minneapolis, Minnesota. Nate, what are you thinking of this beer? Uh, big fan. Love Saison's. Um, this one was a little more... I don't want to say mellow because I don't think that's the right word, but like saison's kind of boiled down to like a sweet saison or a spice, not yep. like spicy, but like like a lot of spice going on. I would say this is more the latter there. Um, a little darker than I thought it was going to be, yes. which I didn't mind at first. I was like, oh, I was kind of hoping for a light one, but then I dived into it a little bit and I liked it a lot more. It almost poured more like a triple. Yeah, yeah, I kind of got that. Yeah. Um, Even tasted a little bit like it. A little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was nice. Um, yeah, big fan of this beer, though. Super excited to try what else they got. Um, they had a cream ale at Ambibulous that I wanted to try. I couldn't... I mean, Saison seemed more on par with today than a cream ale. But uh, I think all in all, I'm going to go like... I'm probably going to go a solid four on this one. Nice. Yep. Big nice fan, absolutely going to buy it again, um, but I got to try the rest of their stuff first. Heck yeah, dude. Just because I'm excited about it, not because this one wasn't good. Yeah, I mean, I love it, man. This is a really cool, very cool artwork. Um, love that, just line yeah, work. They, they did some real interesting uh, art, not art I've ever kind of seen before, Um it's like this hieroglyphic-esque kind of line work. These very simple, almost stick figures. Mm-hmm. And then they're layered over like uh, kind of a patchwork watercolor background. Sorry, I'm just dropping a lot of terms <laughs> here. But it. this is a very cool one. Um, yeah, look up Wooden Ship Brewing Company. Their artwork is badass. This is the first beer I've had from them. And it makes me want to try more. Um, yep. Hmm. The only thing I'm wrestling with here is I like my Saisons. My farmhouse is a little lighter. Mm. I think of them as like kind of that early afternoon, late afternoon beer, you know, sunshine beer. It's a little bit much for that. This is one of those where at almost 8%, I even crack, I'm cracking this earlier than I would probably like to, you know, outside of a show scenario. Yep. Um, But again, I can't knock someone because they made a boozy beer. So we're... That's the industry that we're in. That's that's all personal preference and my weird taste. Um, I'm going to put this at a 4-2. I think it's very good. I think it's very tasty. I think we should review more Saisons. Um, and yeah, wooden ship. Stoked to see what you guys are doing. Are we going to have a hot Saison summer? Or Maybe, no, start of the summer of Kolsch's. I think this is the summer of Weizen's for me. Weizen's? Ooh. Last okay. year was Lagers and Pills. Sure. Um, yeah, this summer, if I can find me a Heffy or a Dunkel, I'm in. All right. Box, too. Been doing some box. A little... I like the ones on the lighter side, though. Yeah. Some bo- box... There's, like, a weirdly big range for that. Like Shiner, though? Shiner is a fantastic barbecue beer. Not something you want to sit in the backyard and drink 20 of, but that's kind of not what I'm trying to do anymore. Again, Ham's has its time and place, but... Yep. Bring a bring a twelve pack a shiner to a barbecue, some barbecued chicken thighs. Mm. You're gonna make friends. Mm. Sounds like a nice day. 
Maybe we should do that. Next uh, next week when we record, let's have a little pre-show BBQ. Well, uh, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll record outside. We'll have yeah. a mic on the grill. Yeah, we'll mic the birds, dude. Hey. I got a little suet feeder out back. We could mic that here on the chirp chirp. Maybe we'll have the neighborhood cat stop by and visit. Hey, that could be good. Nice fella. Feature him on the podcast. He's pretty quiet. He's pretty quiet. Well, me put up again. Oh. Cats make noises. <laughs> yeah, they do. They do. Fun fact, before we roll into the actual fun facts, uh, I've once heard, and I've heard it multiple times, that cats don't meow at other cats. They might hiss at another cat, but a stray cat in the wild does not meow upon seeing another cat. The meow is a human interaction that cats have. Huh. It's weird, right? Yeah, that is kind of weird. Like, they may meow when, like, they're... They want to go investigate another cat, and it's just they can't get to it. But I don't like know that's about that. to, but that's more to like human, human. Let let me do the thing. Like I, I want to go out. Maybe. It, and, but I don't know. Is it science or is it the whole tree falls in the forest thing? That could be. If a if a cat meows in the forest, is anybody around to hear it? there's anyone listening that works for or adjacent with national geographic i want to see a special on like alley cats you guys are spending a lot of money to go some real exotic places but let's go like you know downtown st paul downtown minneapolis see some cats let's let's get some real high-end slow-mo cameras on some of these alleys and see what these cats are up to what what is a cat's life like when there's no human presence i'm gonna guess it sleeps a lot but i could be wrong this tuesday on history channel history channel yeah Yeah, national geographic well national geographic but i mean if we're trying has their own channel we don't need history channel for this nat geo up the history of stray cats sorry without going on another tangent nat geo is still a respectable source but if we're trying to cast a wide net here and get some content picked up we got we can't keep history off the table because as we know, history is talking everything but history right now. So that's true. They ultimately pick up if, a really dope cat show. If we draw some wooden ship style hieroglyphics on the sides of the buildings downtown of cats, maybe we get a cat uh, documentary. And that's why he's my co-host, bringing it back <laughs> to the beers and talking cats. That was a nice bridge, if I if I do say so myself. I was happy with that. Love you, buddy. We'll be right back. <laughs> Excuse me, is there anything I can do? I am a scientist, sir. Uh, is there any problem? You know, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt things. He, he isn't a good swimmer, and I just think it's a little too soon for him to be out here unsupervised. Well, I can assure you, he's quite safe with me. Look, I'm sure he is. But you have a large class, and he can get lost, you know, from sight if you're not looking. No, I'm not saying you're not looking. Oh my gosh! Nemo swimming out the sea! <gasps> Nemo! What do you think you're doing? You're going to get stuck out there, and I'm going to have to get you before another fish does. Get back here. I said get back here now. Stop. You take one more move, mister. Don't you dare. If you put one fin on that boat, are you listening to me? Don't touch the boat. Nemo. You touched the boat. What is up, everybody, and thanks for sticking with us. We just got done drinking a beer from Wooden Ship Brewing Company. Um, That was weird. Our lamp just turned on. It is not a clap-on. It is a super (laughs) old lamp from the 50s. 
Also, you could have said, thanks for swimming with us. Thanks for swimming with us. Um, Yeah, I guess we forgot to do it at the top of the show, so I'm going to get it out of the way now. We want to send a shout-out to a listener and a supporter of the show. He is also now a industry member. He works at Fulton Brewing Company. Shout-out. Works in packaging, Mr. Justin. The one and only Millhouse. <laughs> he said it. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, he hooked us up with some fine beers from Fulton. So that's kind of what we've been sipping on. Little little Lonely Blonde, little 300, little Seltzies. Um, not today, no, but... That was, a, that was a big part of my weekend. Yeah. Um, a very large part of my weekend. Contributed to the part of Nate's weekend <laughs> that he can't talk about on air. Correct. Thanks, Justin. But, uh, thank Justin. You should be thanking me for keeping you from saying self-incriminating things. Hey, uh, maybe. Uh, but we're back at it with another Zesty Foamer. We are drinking another aquatic-themed beer. This one a little more ocean. A little maybe more uh, in, in theme with Finding Nemo. But it is a beer from Ballast Point Brewing Company. Ballast Point dedicated to the craft, as they say. Uh, and it's a grapefruit sculpin. They're IPA with natural grapefruit flavors. Is that a nice little, is that, is that pufferfish? That's not pufferfish. What's that fish? What is that fish? It's a sculpin. I don't think that's a sculpin. I'm it pretty is... sure that's not what sculpin means. Nate, it's I, a sculpin. I, I'm going to Google this. <laughs> I'll, I'll save you the time. Okay. Well, no, I'll, I'll save you the time. You got some fun facts to give the folks. You know, so, uh, you know this is everybody's sculpin favorite. Sculpin is a type of fish that belongs to the super family of Cody... Cotodia in the order of Scorpiniforms. Um, yeah, it, it, it's a sculpin. Okay, it's a sculpin. Yeah, all right, all right, fine. It's a sculpin, whatever. I love proving Nate wrong with Google Images. I was like, I feel like a few of their beers have been named Sculpin, and so, but maybe I've just had this beer several times. Most of their f- beers, at least they used to all be like fish themed. As a matter of fact, I think they have a Marlin. Mm. I think Ballast Point has a Marlin. I should have tracked that down and got. <sighs> that would have been fun. No, I'm just letting well, everyone know that I dropped the ball on my job this week. Well, so, I mean. I'm shocked, I tell you. But I digress. Uh, cheers. Well, I guess I can't cheers. Nate uh, still doesn't have any beer in his glass yet. Well, some of us don't like our beer to be half foam. That was a perfect pour. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Also worth mentioning. I'm um, a professional. I'm drinking out of an ambibulous glass. Nate is drinking out of a summit glass. We usually try to drink out of uh, uniform glasses and shout them out, but Nate just simply could not reach (laughs) the other glass in the cupboard. Okay. It's top shelf of the highest cupboard all the way in the back. I mean, I have no problems getting it. Yeah, but you're also... I mean, you had to order clown shoes today. Like, I mean, we, we operate on different... We operate in different circles. Here. Shout out to New Balance. Got some, <laughs> some crispy new walkers. Some, uh, some nice dad shoes. They're beautiful. All right. We know what you've all been waiting for, and it's the fun facts. The fun facts. Eric's fun fact corners. So... Presented by Sculpin. Real quick, want to get this out of the way. I just want to send a thank you to the person who wrote this article that I'm pulling most of these fun facts from this week. Um, M. Arbiter of Mental Floss. Now, I know we don't always give credit to 
the sources that we find our fun facts from. And you're probably wondering, yo, Eric, you got you always got to cite your sources. And yes, I agree. If if you're trying to come up with some sort of a thesis and backing it with a lot of quoted material, absolutely cite your sources. But let's be honest here. Nate and I each week do about an hour and a half off of one page of notes. So I think there's enough opinion and original material here that we do not need to cite our sources. But that's true. M. Arbiter of Mental Floss. Whew. I was reading some of this stuff and like I go through a lot of kind of like Watch Mojo and IMDb and kind of BuzzFeed esque fun fact lists. And this was like, there's some personality in this. So. I just wanted to thank them because they saved me a lot of work in cross-checking this week. So, um, I'm staring at the, the the smoke and the we're good, we're good, we're fine. Nate's Nate's vaping the studio and I can barely see. <laughs> All right, oh, blown, blown sw- you're gonna have to swim through these clouds, bro. All right, Crush. <laughs> Crush is a the stoner turtle from the movie. Uh, did you know the film was inspired by the director's overprotective nature? So, autobiographical isn't exactly the first adjective you'd expect to assign to a road comedy about marine life. But, Finding Nemo co-writer and director Andrew Stanton's story came from a very personal place. As a relatively new father during the film's development, Stanton found himself at odds with his proclivity to veer into overprotective territory much in the way viewers see Marlin combating his neurosis in raising his son Nemo. So Stanton also had a love for all things uh, aquatic, and that dated back to a childhood fascination with his dentist fish tank. So he used this lifelong interest as a funnel for a deeply emotional story about the challenges of being a good father. So, I mean, passion piece is what I think of here. This man is pulling, you know things that are, are deeply rooted in his personal life and bringing it to life on screen in his vision in the form of a children's film. I love that. I think it's awesome. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a nice fun fact. Look at you, Mr. Wholesome. He used to be Mr. Tough. Now he's Mr. Wholesome. I can still be both. Uh, for, for you, baby. <laughs> tough and wholesome. Be whatever you oh. want me to be. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Sorry, Samantha. <laughs> no, she listens now. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> Andrew Stanton, did you know, Andrew Stanton wrote a script long before he was supposed to. So Pixar's multi-tiered film production process begins with the basic premise pitch to the creative higher-ups, followed by, uh, for at least all the greenlit projects, a written story treatment. But Stanton already had a script completed before the second step took place. So basically, yeah, he pitched it and then he had a script (laughs) and it was the first and only Pixar project at the time to proceed in this manner. So talk about a go-getter. This man knew what he wanted. Damn. Good for him. Heck yeah. Love to hear that. Um, Did you know it took only one word to get the green light for Finding Nemo? Uh, You had me at fish. That is precisely what Pixar's chief creative officer told Stanton following his exhaustive pitch for his passion project, which I mean, I, yeah, like when you're dealing with like these movies, I mean, like we've got Toy Story. It's like, oh, what if toys were alive? We got Bugs Life. Oh, what if bugs were like, uh, like people and did things? Then you've got, um, 
was the next one um, monsters inc yeah what if monsters were real and they were humans or like we could relate to them like fish seems like a natural progression yeah i mean especially to like a relatively new animation studio new in the sense that it's you know been doing feature length work for about a decade at the, that point mm. um it seems like exploring the ocean at some point is a, a pretty natural next step yeah that's what i thought um did you know that the movie's art team went through marine training prior to production? So in order to get the look and feel of Finding Nemo's character and the world just right, Pixar's in-house art team was required to take courses and audit lectures in marine biology, oceanography, and I'm going to miss this up, but I think it's ichthyology while enrolling in scuba diving classes. So, yeah, talk about method acting, I guess, in a way. Again. We've we've touched on it before, and if I have to touch on it again, I will. Um, animating you you would recognize, even though you don't think you would, you would recognize things moving in a non natural way. Yeah, and you, I mean, Pixar understands that, and that's why they send these people to do these things. And that kind of goes hand in hand with the next fact, because sometimes when things move in a perfectly natural way, a way that mirrors real life physics in the animation world mm. it doesn't always work out well so did you know that dogs were actually used as models for the fishy facial expressions um they just found that the dull eyes of the average fin critters weren't especially conductive uh to building expressive characters so pixar had to look elsewhere for its optical models um and the crew chose one of the most uh openly expressive members of the animal kingdom on which to model the eyes of its fish characters. That's dogs. Actually, uh, I'm going to veer off just a little bit here. I don't know if he listens to the show, but our bartender, Sam, um, I have a, we have a puppy that lives at our house right now. Uh, his name is Snarls Barkley, um, and he's a miniature golden doodle. And when you pet him on the head, and his hair sticks up, he looks exactly like a puppy version. Actually, not even a puppy version. He just looks like a dog version of our bartender, Sam. Really? And it's funny to me every time. Like, you know, he does, like, the thing where he gets his hair to stand up on end. And that's what happens with this dog. It's just funny. That's awesome. It's great. And he was wearing, like, a shirt that kind of reminded me of a Sam shirt. It was great. Wait, the dog was? Yeah. No. Of course we got shirts for the dog. He's a puppy. Like, he... <laughs> Anything you add to the puppy's repertoire is just going to up it. Don't put clothes on your dogs. None clothes on your dogs? Unless you got like a super like docile, like go with the flow, chill dog and you want to do like holiday pictures. No, don't put clothes on your dogs. Or unless your dog's like got super short fur and you need to put like a jacket on it to walk it in the winter. Because we live in Minnesota. I was going to say, like, yeah, animals get cold. And we're kind of putting them in environments that they're not necessarily made for. I understand that, but it was cold that day, Eric. It was a cold day. Stand by the fact. Don't put clothes on your dogs. Okay. All right. You heard it. You heard it here first. You heard it here. You heard it from the guy that owns zero dogs. Um, Did you know Albert Brooks replaced another big star in this film? Man, I love Albert Brooks. Um, so although Brooks's background in films like Broadcast News, Lost in America, and Mothers seems like it would have made him an obvious candidate to play the high-strung Marlin, the first actor cast in the role was William H. Macy from, uh, at the time, Fargo fame, and uh, as the Shoveler in Mystery Men, 
And now these days, people know him from, uh, uh, what's that show called? Shameless? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, basically, William H. Macy recorded his dialogue for an early screening of Finding Nemo, but producers ultimately felt he lacked the warmth required for the father fish. Okay. So, thus, Brooks was given the job. Another interesting cast one. This one? Hmm. I've got some thoughts on this. So, Megan Mullanley was fired after producers heard her real voice. Uh, in the early 2000s, Megan Mullanley... Not Mullanley. Mullally. Was known for playing the rude and eccentric Karen Walker on Will and Grace. Uh, basically, among her... Iconic characteristics was her high-pitched voice, which Pixar producers apparently thought would be perfect for an animated fish. Um, But upon hearing her real voice and discovering it was much more naturally pitched and averagely pitched than her character from Will and Grace, um, they dismissed her from the cast. Yeah, she was unwilling to reproduce that Karen voice for the film, and uh, as such... Pixar just decided to part ways with her. So, to me, that just says, Pixar, do your research. Exactly. Uh, not, not as uh, not uh, as seen on TV. You yeah. Know? I mean. And also, maybe cast Ray Romano next time if you're casting a voice for a Rayfish. That's all I'm saying. I, if I got one goal with this podcast at this point, it's to have someone from Pixar listen to an episode. Just some very slight recasting. Yes. What I think would be a lot of fun. That's, and I mean, the next step is getting someone from Pixar on the show, but baby I, steps. Well, actually, I explained this to somebody earlier this week. Um, we, you know, it's, we like to do people from the industry, uh, but we have a Randy Newman clause. If Randy Newman wants to come on the show, I don't think he's ever worked in the industry. Um, could be wrong. But if Randy Newman wants to come on the show, we'll let him on the show. You know, we'll, we'll do a Randy Newman episode. Well, I think at this point we need to open it up to people from the animation industry. Yeah, but that's, I mean, that's a big one. But so is craft beer. That's true. I mean, if we are Suds Buds Presents Pints and Pixar, it's only fair that we have someone from Pixar on the show. So we're only Pixar animation. The White Whale episode is a six-hour show where we get a brewer <laughs> and someone from Pixar Studios in-house. And we get them to fight over which thing? Uh, we don't get them to fight so much. We just get them loaded with local beers and kind of see where it goes. Uh, okay, no, I'd be, I'd be into that. Yeah, I'm, you're like, I'm not, I, I won't even do my woo until the end, just because like, I want to give them all the time that they need to hash everything out. <laughs> yes, we're gonna do like a dabbler in a box episode, but with these people. Oh. A lot of beef between animators and brewers. If you didn't know. exactly, it's like a, a tale as old as time. Brewers and animators, they do not get along. You can quote me on that. Try putting a brewer and an animator in a room. Ain't gonna work. So a brewer and an animator walked into a brewery. They both walked out. Wait. Neither walked out. <laughs> they died there. They died there. That makes sense. Anti-joke, Nate. You, okay, whatever. Yeah, put that on me. That's Sorry, fine. Just, That's just fine. Sh- Everybody heard what shifting happened Shifting the blame. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you know the director recorded all of one character's dialogue while lying on a couch? Can you guess the character, Nate? Don't look at your notes. Gonna... I didn't redact them this week. 
he normally I know we've been over this, but he normally or he we've been talking about him just redacting all the fun facts. I did it me. once, but this week I gave you a script. Yep. Um, I know you need it. Recorded all of them from the couch. Uh I'm gonna guess actually the uh the Pelican. Mm. I think no. I'll crush. Oh, that'd be good. So, director uh, Andrew Stanton actually voiced Crush, the slacker sea turtle. And Stanton never intended to commit his voice to the final cut of Finding Nemo, but only to sub in as a placeholder until the right actor could be cast to play the role of Crush. Um, The easygoing sea turtle with the California accent. But uh, that didn't happen. Stanton got the final role, and he recorded all of Crush's dialogue while lying on the couch in the office of his co-director, Lee Unkrich's office. I mean, I guess, yeah, if there was a character that had to be recorded... Honestly, it probably helped that it was from the couch. Yeah. Like, he was just, like, almost overly chill for what was going on. And he's like, yeah, yeah, it's all right, dude. I wonder if he got baked before recording. Think so? The director never tells. (laughs) Director... Voice recorder confidentiality? I guess. I don't know. Shit, I always forget about that. I love that, though. I love that that's the role he chose to cameo in, because it seems like it'd be a fun role. (laughs) Uh, But moving along, did you know that the CEO of Disney thought Finding Nemo would be a failure? So, this is kind of a heavy one, but I want to breeze through it real quick. Uh, Basically, the combination of a poorly cast Marvel... Marlin, initially, and an unsympathetic Gil as well as the running flashbacks made the earliest versions of Finding Nemo feel pretty dismal. Still, nobody was quite as defeatist as Michael Eisner, the Walt Disney Company's then chief executive officer. Um, So Eisner predicted the underwater adventure would be a reality check for the yet unchallenged Pixar. Eisner's only positive spin was that a commercial struggle would be helpful during contract renegotiations with the Disney subsidiary. Of course, Eisner's, excuse me, Eisner's judgment and fund-cutting aspirations came up short when Finding Nemo became Pixar's highest-grossing film, a superlative it would maintain until the release of Toy Story 3 in 2010. So, uh, yeah. Suck it, Michael yeah. Eisner. Yeah, friggin' suck it, you nerd. That, uh, <laughs> I wonder how it felt, like, because I'm sure, like, he was talking about it a lot. Like, oh yeah, this is gonna suck. This is gonna be bad, but like it'll be good because we'll be able to fix things down the way. And then he just gotta eat his words. Like, I hope somebody like slipped him like the numbers every day of how well this movie is doing in the box office. Like, oh, hey, did you see how well Finding Nemo did today? Oh yeah, a couple couple million dollars. How you how you feeling now? Like, I really hope somebody rubbed it in. I hope so too, man. Um, it reminded me a lot of. I'm a big pro wrestling guy, but there's a story with, uh, so Vince McMahon, mm-hmm. owner of World Wrestling Entertainment, Jim Ross, who is a longtime commentator there, now commentates for another promotion, AEW, and um, this guy Mick Foley, who someone might know, wrestled <laughs> as Mick Foley, Dude Love, Mankind, Cactus Jack, legend, former world champion, um, but Jim Ross, who was the head of talent relations, has wrote a number of books, super cool guy. Um, Jim Ross was the head of talent relations for WWE back at the time when they were talking about signing McFoley. And he always had to report back to Vince with, you know, his scouting reports and who he thought he was going to sign. And Vince kind of had the final say. And, uh, yeah, he was super big on McFoley, this, you know, 
slightly pudgier guy who is known for taking thumbtacks and jumping off roofs and going through fire and just being a human stuntman. Mm. And uh, Jim Ross was super big on him. And Vince McMahon says, I'm going to let you sign this talent just so you can feel what it's like to have your heart broken. And to me, that reminds me basically of what Michael Eisner is trying to do is like, I'm going to stand in the shadows and let you do your thing just so I can cackle when you fail. Yep. But like, I mean, it's almost like the antithesis of Finding Nemo because like Marlon was like, I'm not going to let you do any of these things because you might fail. You just can't, Nemo. Yeah, you just can't. Vince McMahon, or no, not Jim Ross. Jim Ross, you just can't Jim Ross. So Jim Ross is Nemo, and Vince McMahon is Marlon? Yeah, I don't know. (laughs) Is is Vince McMahon the Marlon of WWF or WWE? That was a fun marketing thing that they did when they had to switch the F because of the World Wildlife Foundation. Yeah. So they just made a whole bunch of shirts that says, get the F out. Get the F out, yep. Yep, I have one of those. Nice. Yep. That's right, you used to watch wrestling casually. Yep, uh, when I was like 10. Nice. Yep. Here so, I am, in my 20s. Hey. Still loving the craft. The art. <laughs> the art. That's what it is. Moving along. Um, this is kind of a few fun facts within a fun fact. Um did you know that the movie's popularity led to the population stress for clownfish? So, basically when this film came out, children were so taken with the adorable Nemo following the release of the film that demand for clownfish as pets instantly skyrocketed. We saw this in Toy Story with uh, the inanimate object, the Etch-A-Sketch. Um, basically, excessive capture and sale of the ocean dwellers led to a steep decline in the organic population of the species. And some natural habitats, such as the waters surrounding Vanuatu, saw a 75% drop in clownfish numbers. Holy shit. Yeah. Now, to tie into this, um, man, I will say, like, a quick Google of Finding Nemo, reading through some fun facts, like, you get a whole bunch of aquatic companies and branches and organizations and non-profits and for-profits chiming in on kind of the backlash surrounding this film around marine life um there are stories of uh basically organizations running anti-flushing campaigns saying that this whole thing they repeated through the film all oceans or all drains lead to the ocean like no that's not really true and flushing will kill a fish actually i got i got a fun fact um about that so the scene when Nemo comes through, um, like goes down that drain yep. and he gets pushed through and then it kind of pans up to like the wastewater treatment. Yes. And then it pans. There was actually going to be a whole other bit in there, like Nemo going through this wastewater treatment uh, that ended up getting cut. But like uh, they were initially planning on this whole like. Basically, what Marlin's been going through, where just like horrible, like potentially death things. Jeez. Yeah, exactly. Wouldn't yeah. that water basically like bleach him? Yeah, no. Like you, <laughs> this that whole thing with Gil, where he's like, all all uh, all drains lead to the ocean, kid. It's like, well, no, they don't. Like, like that's that's not how that shit works. Um, but yeah, like that was going to be a whole thing. And then they were able to kind of make it like they showed that logo and then they showed the logo on the pipe, which 
I was kind of unnecessary because you're like, oh, if Nemo popped out of a pipe after going down the drain, like, oh, yeah, we'd get it. I like the touch of the buoys, too, in, like, the bay or the harbor saying, like, warning, treated water, like, chemically treated water. <laughs> yep. Yeah, he uh, he wouldn't have survived a chemical treatment plant. Yeah. Um, I don't know a lot about clown, clownfish resiliency um, or marine, uh, Sydney marine law. Um, but no, he wouldn't have survived that. Or just the flush of like a normal toilet. You got to imagine that would be like concussive, just that blast. Well, the blast propulsion. and then also like the, the, the pipe. The, yeah. The pipe direction, the, the trap. Yep. Um, yeah, that wouldn't work. Like but, I'm, I'm glad that he ended up getting shot down the spit sink. Yes. Cause like all that's going to be in that is blood, maybe a little bit of fluoride. Um, good stuff for fish. I mean, it helps us. We do it. We yeah. do it. Yeah, we purposely put it in our water. Oh, dude, Nemo probably got so many more antibodies going through the drain. It's <laughs> friggin' immune to everything. Um, I did have one last little thing. So this was another one where a ton of organizations came up when I looked this one up. Um, didn't quote or source them all. But uh, this is kind of a theme that came up in Finding Dory. The whole idea of relocating fish because that's what they want. It actually led to ecological imbalance in parts of the world because you had a bunch of people relocating fish that were toxic and poisonous to other habitats and letting them free into areas that they were not native to and should never be dwelling. So uh, a good deed in some people's minds because they were inspired by a children's film led to the death of other species, unfortunately. Yep. So ending this one on a real light note, just a yeah, ray of sunshine. That's, that's what everybody says about you. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I mean, you talk about like even like Asian carp in um, in like Midwestern lakes, like they're very bad for the environment. Like there's, you know, there's fishing caps on a lot of fish, but carp there are not. Like catch all of them. That's essentially what the DNR is saying. Like just catch as many of these things as you can, but you also don't eat them. So, like, there's not a lot of things you do with them. No, it's just almost incentivized to kill because of over- overpopulation at this point. Yep. Which... which can happen when you introduce a non-native species because there's not a balance. There might be an abundance of things that they live off of, but they'll eventually just kind of, yeah, destroy that entire environment. And it's not like they're intentionally doing it. No. It's just the environment hasn't been balanced with them in mind exactly yeah so kind of sad but also maybe don't always do what you see in a kid's movie (laughs) or or any movie or any movie that's why i don't that's why i don't put horse heads in people's beds that's not a fun joke well thank you for that nate i that's why you're my friend But tell you what, uh, we made it through the fun facts pretty quick. Uh, We're going to bust through the music real quick because there's not a lot. We're going to do a quick beer review and then we'll send everybody packing because we're we're running long today. That's okay. A little little long. Uh, So music, I just got two quick facts. Uh, Finding Nemo was the first Pixar film not to be scored by Randy Newman. Uh, (laughs) Even when Randy Newman's not a part, we still name drop Randy Newman. You got to because (laughs) actually the original soundtrack album Finding Nemo was scored by Thomas Newman, his cousin. (laughs) And it was released on May 20th, 2003. And the score was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Original Score, but it lost to Lord of the Rings Return of the King. So, shout out to Randy. When you can't make it to the gig, you call Tommy. And Tommy (laughs) Newman shows up, and 
he plays some sick licks and boom you got a pixar movie it's gotta be a it's gotta be a fun family dynamic like oh here's randy newman and his brother tommy? his cousin cousin tom tommy newman he's thomas but he's tommy newman to the suds buds tom, uh old tom big big tom i would love it if randy newman's agent gets back to us and he's like yo so i love your show i can't make it to it but i'm gonna send <laughs> tommy newman <laughs> he's got you covered I, he's always my backup God, that would be just. And then we just spend the whole episode talking about Randy Newman to Tommy. He's just getting pissed about it. Yeah. And then we bring a brewer in and they duke it out. It'll be great. We find out that Tommy Newman has like a successful solo career, but just neglect asking him that. It's just all questions about like what Randy Newman's favorite breakfast food is. And yeah. no, Tommy Newman. Uh, his his stage name is Seal. Actually. Jesus. <laughs> Stop it. I listened to a lot of Seal this weekend too. Oh, it was a weird weekend. Nice, man. dude. Yep, yep. Shout out to uh, you. Really were hanging out at strip clubs, weren't you? <laughs> Shout out to Millhouse and Seal. <laughs> I feel like we can just cut the feed right there, but but we still got a little more work to do, Nate. All right, all right. Uh, so this only like original lyrical song that appeared in the film was uh, Beyond the Sea, the Robbie Williams rendition that appeared over the end credits. It was a very nice song. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to say it right now. We're going to have that as our closing tune. So enjoy. Um, but yeah, that's all we got for music. It was probably the most kind of subdued of a Disney score up to this point in 2003. Very kind of ambient and droning and not bad but just no. very soft yeah much yeah much more toned down than the other ones we would have seen prior to that yeah yeah but brings us to this point we're doing beer rating beer rating beer rating. all right you pick this one out so i'll let you take the lead on it hmm Grapefruit Sculpin from Ballast Point, San Diego, California. Mm-mm-mm. I've had this beer before. Ah. I enjoy this beer. Get a little, little more. Just uh... I'm gonna give it a three point nine. It's got Ooh. a lot of the things I like from a nice West Coast IPA. A little bit of grapefruit without being sweet. Just kind of that nice bitterness, citrusiness from uh, the grapefruit um, balances out pretty well. I mean, grapefruit and and that pininess, that dankness from West Coast hops, they just pair really nicely. And maybe the reason I'm not ranking it higher is because I've had this beer so many times. That could be. Pretty easily available. I'm like burping grapefruit right now. Sorry. (laughs) I kind of like it though. Um, yeah, would buy again. Three nine, ballast point, grapefruit sculpin. Check it out. Oh, oh, I'll, I'll let oh. you give yours real quick. All right, uh, I'm gonna go a little bit lower. I'm probably gonna go three five with this one. Um, I really do enjoy it, but I'm getting a lot of hot burn. Um, and my palate's kind of just wrecked. Like, and not not that that's a bad thing. Beers can be aggressive like that, but it's I mean it's a lot going on in it. Um. A lot of, yeah, tons of flavor, which is, is fun. Um, but I get, I don't know. I kind of prefer my West Coast a little more mellow. I've, I've had enough hot burn in my life. Like, I even get a little bit on the back of the throat. Um, but I would absolutely buy it again. 
Uh, I'm probably going to sit at like 3-5 with this one. Um, the grapefruit is really nice, though. Hot damn. Um, also, I mean, the, the, I mean, I don't know if they have all fish on their cans. I think for the most part that they do. But the artwork's kind of cool. It's like a, um, yeah, it's like a, not a watercolor, but like a drawing. Um, I don't know. I am a fan, but yeah, I'm going to go, I'm going to sit at like three, five with this guy. Um, would buy again, but it's kind of a one and done for me. I know I've had other blast point or ballast points. I know they had, pretty sure they had like a habanero one a while back. That was pretty good. But another kind of one and done. What are you doing over there? I'm sorry. I'm uh, I'm trying to pull up the uh, the film reviews here, and uh, my laptop's just kind of going off. I had to jet out of the studio real quick to grab my my, my work. I'm sorry, Nate. I've... That was that was an attempt at filler, everybody. We got an hour and a half in, and I uh, <laughs> I ended up dropping the ball here, and uh, I'm gonna run out of the studio to grab some homework, but. Uh, yeah. I got it. I got it. All right, you got it. So I'm sorry, Nate. Your your final your final score on that one? Uh, I went three five on this so one. So three five and three, three nine five. from the Suds Buds on the Grapefruit Sculpin. I apologize for having to step out there. Hope it wasn't too noticeable. Um No, I, I entertained them all with my thoughts on, on everything happening. Well and you always do, it's why we have you. Yeah. Um before we get to the film review, we promised we'd get it in. We saved it for last. Had an experience at an Iowa brewery. <laughs> this is not movie related. It's just fun. Yeah, and also these are not Nate's thoughts. So if he's over there squirming in his seat, these are all my opinions. Um, I'm going to run out of the studio myself here. Um, but you you let him have it, Eric. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, stopped at Toppling Goliath um, this weekend in Decorah, Iowa. The, uh, the location of the college that my my girlfriend went to school at luther college and toplin goliath for those of you who don't know is a very big brewery um they probably got distribution to minnesota about five six years ago but they make some big beers uh pseudo sue is one of their big ones dorothy lager um i think they used to have one called the rover truck that was like an oatmeal stout they've got the pompeii go on and on they brew a lot of good beers I'd never been to the tap room, and I was told it's you know it's kind of like Surly. It's a big tap room. They got food. It's got multiple levels. And so, long story short, my girlfriend and I stopped at Toppling Goliath, and when I walked in, first thing I thought is, "Damn, this place just screams money." I mean, it is a big open air operation. One of the biggest ceiling fans I've ever seen in my life dwells in the roof of this place. Um, but not like. Not like beer hall cafeteria style seating. It was like, you know, maybe it was still the distance thing because of COVID, but I was kind of surprised at how few tables were in such a big building. But nonetheless, gigantic setup. And I've had beers from them before and I liked their beers. But upon sitting down, I realized that this was just not what I thought I was getting into. Um, Our server was super, super nice more kind of that restaurant aspect of a service where you didn't go up to the counter they came to you you know had the aprons on and stuff you know more restaurant service and um she asked if we had any questions what we were looking for if we were ready to order and 
usually, if I'm at a new place, I'm going to ask them, yo, do you have anything like this? And throw out kind of what I'm feeling. Or I'm going to be like, do you have a favorite? But I asked, I'm like, do you have... I'm looking at a beer list with like 15 beers on it. I'm like, do you have anything kind of hoppy? Like a nice West Coast style IPA, like a good pale ale. And she's like, hmm. And I'm like, anything that's like not a hazy. And her face kind of drops. And she's like, no, we just hazies or like barrel ages or sours or darks. I'm like, all right, fine. Got like this Imperial hazy. It was fine. Not a bad beer. Sam, she got this like espresso coffee beer that. Didn't say it had marshmallow or anything, but it sure tasted like it. I think it just described it as like an espresso ale, but was like super, super sweet, like weirdly sweet. And I try to get stuff to go when I go out of state. So I was looking at their menu and looking at beers to go. And I mean, dude, I'm talking like I took pictures, which I kind of felt bad about. I tried to be as nice as I could when I was there, but I had to send it to you, Nate, because I mean, they were like, it was I don't know, man. I did not. I I thought you were being dramatic until I really looked into it. We're talking like sixty dollar four packs, thirty dollar crowlers, um, you know, ten fifteen dollar draft pours, forty dollar growlers, um, yeah, pretty, you know, pretty turned off by that when it's like I'm paying forty bucks for a growler, like sixty for a four pack um $60 for a four pack and the thing was too is like they had a full kitchen mm-hmm. they had a full store that people were buying merch dude like and they had some cool merch but people were like buying merch and I was looking at t-shirts and glasses and hats and stuff like hats are like 30 some dollars t-shirts were like you know yeah pretty standard if you're gonna have a big building you gotta make your money but so I'm looking at this menu and I'm like I don't like to use money as the obstacle when it comes to buying like a good consumable. There's certain things where, yeah, you're going to pay for good sushi. You're going to pay for good bourbon. You know, it's how it be. Yep. But I'm looking at the table adjacent to me and it's a table of six. looks like a couple with presumably one of their mothers, you know, a grandma and then three kids and they got pizza in the middle. They all got their own meals. Dad's drinking beer. Mom's drinking beer. Grandma's drinking beer. They went over to the store. They were buying merch I'm like looking at it and I'm like telling Sam, I'm like, that's a thousand dollar bar tab. I'm like, I'm not even kidding you. If they're giving their server 20% gratuity, so they're being nice, 25%, that's a thousand dollar bar tab. I mean, no question. And they were grabbing beer to go. He had at least a growler on the table. So I'm like, fuck, that's like, that's $60 just for the growler there. Yep. They got four t shirts and a hat, another couple hundred, food for the whole table, drinks for the whole table, tip on top of that. Maybe if we're being modest, $800 bar tab if they stiff their server. But I'm looking at this and I'm like, it's a Sunday. It's a Sunday at like 3 in the afternoon and it's mostly families here. It, the dynamic was not all that different from our brewery. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, dude, this is like the least craft beer thing I've ever experienced. I mean, it's all supposed to be about gathering and community and supporting local and supporting handcrafted. And I'm like... There's nothing about this that is approachable. There's nothing about this that most of the people I know would be willing to support. I bet I could get a bunch of people to go check out Toppling Goliath once. Mm-hmm. I've known very few that would go back. And again, was listening to a lot of Chris Gethard on this trip down there. Was looking for a new podcast. Started listening to Beautiful Anonymous. Great story. 
or great great show. Um, but he was telling a story about how he was uh, chatting with his wife and about how their fireplace needed fixing. And I told you this off air, but he was like, yeah, this this fireplace needed to be fixed. And I was talking to the dude and the dude said it was going to be $4,000. And he's like, I'm not good at confrontation, but I knew that sounded high. So I went to my wife and he's like, this is why I love my wife. My wife said, I would rather never see fire in my life than pay that man $4,000 to have a fireplace. And in conclusion, this is how I feel about you, Topping Goliath. I would rather, and I say this as a man with a beer podcast that works in the beer industry, I would rather never drink again than pay $60 for a fucking four-pack. Yep. So I would... put that in your pipe, smoke it, and, you know, go gouge some more people that have deep pockets because I will not be back. And I again, I think you make good beer. I just think your brewery is the most pretentious and unapproachable brewery I've ever seen in my life. And you're located in Iowa, a blue collar, working class, admirable state. Yeah. So, so that being said, you know. Salsa Dave's trying to get in. Oh, Salsa Dave's trying to get Salsa in. We should Dave. let our producer of the show into the house. <laughs> I'll, I'll hold that. I can hold that. Yeah, hold my laptop. Yeah. No, it, um, honestly, I just $60 for a four-pack is just, it's absolutely criminal, and I can't. Uh, we're recording a podcast right now, sorry. Yeah, it's it's honestly, that's just criminal there. Like, I don't know how you could possibly justify $60. I mean, that's $15 for a pint. And that's to go $15 for a pint. Man, we just had like a super sweet. She was wearing a TPT mask. I don't know if she was from TPT, but she was here for something and had to turn her away because oh. our studio is the front room of the house. And Yeah, and, and sunny, uh, in sunny California um, here in the Sudspud studio. Or we're from Florida or uh, California? Uh, California now. California, yeah. Sorry, this is, a, this is a weird episode. Um, <laughs> Nate, I cut you off at the end there. Your final thoughts on TG? Uh, TG, like I said, I, I've had some good beers, but I've had nothing from them that would warrant $60 from a four-pack. I've had nothing that would warrant even $30 for a four-pack. Like, the, no. 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 But we wish you well. Yeah. I, uh, I'm i not out here Wait, to put... Clearly it's working for you, I guess, but... Suds Buds are anti-hex. Uh, we don't put hexes on anyone. Nope. We also don't wish bad luck on people, but we do believe in karma. So, <laughs> that being said, good luck. Yep. Uh, last thing we gotta do is rate this movie. We're gonna pass over rating the villains on this one, because I think the dentist is a pretty lame villain. Yeah, that, that'd be at the very bottom of my list anyway. So, I'll lead this off. This is the eighth film we watched at this point. Um, and I'm gonna put it at... I'm gonna put it at number three. Number three. So that means it's taking Toy Story 4's spot. Okay. And it's coming in just above Toy Story 3. Okay. Okay. Um, trying to remember all of my ratings. I, I 
do really like this movie. Um, but I think I'm going to put it... What's my number four spot right now? Bugs Life. Bugs Life, yeah. I'm putting it below Bugs Life. What's my number five? Um, it is Toy Story 3. Okay. I, I might put it above Toy Story 3. Um, I think it's got a little more charm than that. But not, not quite a Bugs... A quite above Bugs Life. Not quite a bug Bugs Life. Um, yeah, I'm going to give it that number five spot there. Number five for Nemo. Number five for Nemo. All right, everybody. Well, we got our beer ratings in. We got our film review in. It was a goodie. Go check it out. Sorry we ran long this week. We hope you stuck with us. We had fun. And uh, we'll be back next time with our talk on Finding Dory. But in the meantime, please pick Star responsibly. And uh, that's all for now, folks. Stands on golden sands and watches the ships that go sailing somewhere beyond the sea. She's there watching for me. If I could fly like birds on high, then straight to her arms. I'll go sailing It's far Beyond the stars It's near beyond the moon I know Beyond a doubt My heart Will lead me there soon We'll meet Beyond the Just like before Happy we'll be Beyond the sea And never again I'll go sailing Farewell, my 
Thank you. 